We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game here in the Bay Area. Kyle, what's happening, dude? Not much, man. I, I cooked dinner tonight and watched the Thursday night game while I did it. It was delightful. Um, I had a glass of wine. It's just been a really strong night. It's been a really strong night for me. That's a very uh, domestic evening. Oh, dude, for sure. That's like some real homeowner stuff right there. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've decided to take my job as a homeowner a little more seriously. Um, you know, doing things like drying my hands with a towel instead of on my jeans. You know, basic stuff like that. I'm, I looked at the vacuum today. For the first time. Oh, nice. You looked at it? Yeah, I, I sure did. I, look, I, I looked it up and down, and I said, boy, is that a vacuum. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually moving on Saturday, um, and I haven't packed a single thing yet. So there's that, speaking of being hey. an adult. but hey, good start. Um, really good start. Yeah, awesome. So we are here to preview a really important game between the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, which is so important. It got flexed from a typical afternoon start to primetime in NB- at the NBC game. It's going to be a 520 kickoff, which means it's going to be the only game on Sunday night, and it's probably going to be the highest rated 
television program of the week, at least, because Sunday Night Football always is. And uh, <laughs> it's two massive fan bases tuning in to two teams who are vying. They're, they're currently actually the top two seeds in the NFC. Uh, and it's going to be there. I mean, there's a lot on the line. The winning this game could depend on whether or not, uh, you know, if the 49ers win the division, whether or not they play at home against Green Bay in the playoffs or travel to Green Bay, where I've heard it's pretty cold um, in January. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot on the line for this one. You say cold um, in Green Bay? It's cold in Green Bay. Yeah, no way. Yeah, really cold. I was there in uh, 2013 and covered that game with food poisoning. So I was freezing and nauseous uh, the entire time. It was not fun, but uh, it was a great game. That was a Colin Kaepernick sleeveless sleeveless in Green Bay game with uh, Phil Dawson hitting the game-winning field goal as time expired. Um, I remember Micah Hyde, I think it was, dropped an interception in that game that would have like sealed it for the pack. I remember. Yeah, I think that would have been a pick six on the final drive. Um, I believe that's right. Instead, the 49ers kicked the game-winning field goal. Uh, but Big swing. Big swing there. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure the 49ers w- would have preferred to play that game at home, but they didn't because they did not win the division that year. I think you can go back to uh, Ahmad Brooks getting flagged for hitting Drew Brees in the head and neck area in a game against the Saints that they ended up losing. I think if yeah. they win that game, they would have got the division title, would have had a first-round bye, and would have had home field throughout, and maybe the 2013 NFC title game is not played in Seattle, but that's a completely different story. Uh, so let's talk Niners and Packers. And I think we have to start with the news of the day. We're recording this Thursday night. Uh, George Kittle returned to practice, the star tight end, uh, for the first time since suffering that injury, uh, left knee and ankle injuries in that Halloween game at the first snap from scrimmage against the Cardinals. He played through it and had a really good game, um, but wound up leaving early in the fourth quarter because he was dealing with too much pain. Uh, he was back on the practice field, and I had a feeling that Kittle would play Sunday against the Packers going into the week because uh, just talking to him after the game on Sunday after uh, they played the Cardinals, it sounded like he was really close to playing, and that was despite not practicing at all. So Kittle actually didn't practice on Wednesday, but he did go out to the field in cleats, and instead of doing the typical conditioning and rehab stuff that injured guys do, he was sort of hanging out and lingering with his teammates who were doing drills which I thought was interesting. And then he also had his helmet with him, which was absolutely interesting. And then today he actually returned to practice um, as a limited participant. So he wore a blue non-contact jersey. Um, Kittle, of course, spoke to the media for the first time since that uh, Halloween game in Arizona because he didn't want or, or the team didn't want him speaking to the media until he did return to practice. So um, although we had seen him and, and sort of talked to him in passing, this was the first time we, we got to shove recorders in, in his face. And uh, and he said his goal is to play Sunday against the Packers. Um, so we'll have to see. I think he's going to play barring a setback. Uh, so that is obviously huge news for, for the Niners. Yeah, that's, that's if Jimmy Garoppolo is the most important 49er, Kittle is right behind him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that their offense has looked a little disjointed in the game since he went down with those knee and ankle injuries so when you're facing a quarterback in an offense like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay especially now that Aaron Jones their running back is having the kind of year he's having we'll talk more about him later but that's a that's a formidable offense and if you're San Francisco you want to make sure it's all hands on deck on on the offensive side of the ball in case you do get into a shootout with Green Bay, which is which is very possibly uh, how this game goes. 
Yeah, and I think we've talked about it before, but just the importance of Kittle in both the passing game and the running game. I mean, he's their leading receiver. He has 46 catches. Debo Samuel second on the team with 38. 541 yards for Kittle uh, through eight games. He was on pace for a 1,000-yard season, which no 49er had ever done. No 49er tight end had ever done until last year when Kittle had that ridiculous record-breaking season um, with nearly 1,400 yards. um, So... Yeah, Kittle's really important. He's caught 19 of 20 passes on third down, including 14 third down conversions. Uh, so that's also really good. He's just, I think he's their most indispensable player. I don't i don't know, um, you know, I, I, it's a different discussion if we wanted to have it like who we valued more on the 49ers offense, Jimmy Garoppolo or George Kittle, um, because I think you could probably make the case to drop off from Garoppolo to Nick Mullins, maybe not, isn't as steep as Kittle to Ross Dwelly, just given what Kittle brings as a blocker. Um, but I, I do think it's a huge boost for the 49ers, both in, term, both in terms of production and emotion. He hasn't even been on the sidelines the last two games. And uh, and he's obviously, you know, he's a captain. He's one of their most talkative players. He's sort of the spirit of their team. So having him in a luxury suite high above the field at Levi's Stadium um, has not been where Kittle's wanted to be. He said it was awful. It was horrendous. Uh, and he hated every second of it, which is which is very typical and on brand for George Kittle. So that's good news for the 49ers. More good news on the injury front Thursday too. Emmanuel Sanders with his rib injury and Debo Samuel with a shoulder injury returned to practice after sitting out Wednesday Wednesday session. They were both limited participants Thursday. Uh, so that's a sign that they are trending towards playing. And what's important to note about Sanders is he was actually running around. He didn't catch any passes that we saw in the open portion uh, of practice to the media, but he was running around. And that's more we can say that that he did last week when he didn't practice at all. And we hardly even saw him on the practice field. He was mostly just standing around before playing in that Cardinals game. So the fact he's running around would indicate his ribs are feeling better. Um, I don't know that there was really much doubt about Samuel's status, given that he suffered that shoulder injury in the third quarter and wound up returning in the fourth after a trip to the locker room. But I guess we can look at Kittle's situation and say, well, Kittle did return to the game after having his injury, um, and then he missed some time. So Samuel being back on the practice field, also in a blue non-contact jersey, is a good sign. So it looks like the 49ers could have their full complement of pass catchers, which is obviously going to be really important. Um no Matt Breida, no D Ford, no Robbie Gold, and no Joe Staley. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying Joe Staley is not going to play this week. Yeah. Uh, we don't know for sure about Breida, but it seems unlikely. And, and D Ford, Kyle Shanahan said on Monday, the 49ers are fearing that it's going to be a uh, multiple week hamstring injury for, for him. So it's probably or more than likely that, that Ford is, is going to sit this one out. And so we'll have to see going forward But as the 49ers play the Ravens next week and then uh, they stay in Florida and then play the Saints. So um, full participants practice, DJ Jones, who is back sooner than expected from a groin injury. Raheem Mostert's back with a knee injury and linebacker Aziz Alshire, uh, who is now the, the top Sam linebacker on the team, is back after missing Sunday's game with a concussion. So he's he's been fully cleared to to be a full participant in practice. So he's no longer feeling any effects of that concussion he's passed through when he needs to pass through in the concussion protocol. So he's good to go. Is there anything you want to add, any takes you have about the injury situation? Yeah, actually. Uh, I think the Niners are in a kind of interesting spot injury-wise. 
and we talked a little bit about this on the midday show today on 95.7 The Game, where the Niners' training staff was so conservative injury-wise leading into the season. And that's not atypical for a team, you know, with a guy who has a, you know, uh, some some knee pain that he might play through in the regular season to sit out practices in in OTAs. Like that's not atypical. It's what it's what the Niners did this offseason. But they're at a point at nine and one where it's like you said, Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. The fact they were at practice in blue no, blue non contact jerseys indicates that they're trending toward playing, but. It's an interesting discussion to have where if you're the Niners, you you know, these games are important and you can't mail any of them in, especially with Green Bay, New Orleans, and Seattle all, all just a game back. But if it means having those guys fully healthy for the playoffs, it it's definitely, I, I, to me, feels like, like a conundrum for the coaching staff and for the training staff on do you just go with these guys banged up like they can't hurt anything any worse? Or does a week or two of rest make sure they're 100%? And maybe that maybe that blows a chance for home field advantage in the first round bye. But you're opening on wild card weekend at least with a fully healthy set of players. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's it's a balance that you really want to strike. I, I, I mean, it's really difficult to strike too because, like you said, like do we want to win the division and play for a first round bye? Or do we... Just want to make sure we have our guys healthy. I, I do think it's worth pointing out that the three guys, Sanders, Debo, and and Kittle, are probably three of like the tougher-minded dudes on the team. Sure. Um, that will are willing to play through pain and can probably p- play through pain at a higher level than maybe some other guys. And I, there's no way to to quantify that, obviously. But I do yeah. think that that's part of it. I also think too, and and I'm not sure if I've said it on this pod or not. Um, but I did. I did ask Richard Sherman about, you know, a while ago, why the the Seahawks were always really good in like November and December. And if there was any like big secret as to why they always clicked and and peaked at the right time during, you know, earlier this decade when when they were a perennial contender. And he basically said like practices were super light. They were basically all walkthroughs, like everything during the week was really not taxing physically. Yeah. And I have a feeling, given all that, like the conservative approach that you just talked about, I think that's sort of where the 49ers are at. And so, you know, Kyle Shanahan over these last couple of weeks, because the schedule's been a little weird, they had a couple short weeks with that Thursday game. Um, and then they had to play Arizona on a short week after the Monday game. It was a lot of walkthroughs. And so this is this is a more traditional week of practice, but I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of physicality in practice going forward um, just to make sure guys are right. So yeah, I, I, it's impossible to know really until I guess it all plays out because, because all these guys are so secretive about their injuries. Like we don't even know what George Kittle's injury was aside from it being ankle and knee related. Um, we don't know if it was a bone bruise or a ligament sprain or a partial tear somewhere. Um, we really have no idea. And obviously a sprain is, is a tear, but we're not doctors here. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating discussion. And the only thing I can really say about it is we're not going to know the answer until we see how these guys play. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, 
that's where you have to trust the training staff and the coaching staff that, you know, they're not jeopardizing these guys long term because a win over the Packers is is great. But if I don't think I basically I don't think they're putting anybody in danger of injuring themselves long term. Like if Samuel had a shoulder thing that one hit was going to knock him out for the rest of the year, I, I don't think he would play. And that's where that's where I feel like I would feel I would feel really good about these guys going forward if they do play Sunday because that to me says their injuries are at a point where like I said it's it's just pain tolerance. And I think that's a that's a good spot to be in versus uh somebody like D Ford who a hamstring can nag. Like that's right. something that they say two or three weeks, but who knows how that heals? Who knows how um who knows how that that recovers once he is back on the field. So if they do get Samuel and Sanders and Kittle all on the field, A, I like their chances against Green Bay, but B, I think that bodes well for those players moving forward in terms of in terms of coming back from those injuries. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a, a little bit about um, sort of the storylines of the week, I guess. And so, uh, Kyle, did you know Matt LaFleur is, uh, is connected pretty, pretty closely to, uh, the 49er staff? Get out of town. No <laughs> way. It's been mentioned, uh, but, but it is interesting. It? Yeah. It's, it's been written about, you can find it on the internet. Um, you know, what? Uh, him and Robert Sala are boys since going back to 2004, Niners defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, obviously. They were on the same coaching staff at Central Michigan as assistants, um, and then Sala wound up uh, recommending Lafleur to the Texans when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator there in 2008. And then Lafleur, of course, stuck with Shanahan for eight of the next nine seasons, um, eventually working his way to an offensive coordinator job with the Rams, where he didn't call plays, but then did call plays. Uh, what was it in two th- in last year with uh, with the Titans before getting the head coaching job? Anyway, Matt Lafleur has worked for Kyle Shanahan eight, eight of the last or eight of nine years before uh, 2017 when he went to Sean McVay's staff with the Rams, and of course Mike Lafleur is the 49ers passing game coordinator, uh, who the 49ers denied a request by the Packers to interview for their offensive coordinator job uh, because. How the how the rule goes in the league is you can deny permission of other teams to uh, to interview coaches if the job is not a promotion. And because Matt Lafleur is the passing game coordinator, I guess it's viewed as not uh, it's it's viewed as a lateral move. Um, the only thing the 49ers couldn't do at this point is prevent uh, Mike Lafleur, Matt's brother, from from interviewing for a head coaching job. So um, that's kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, the other big storyline of the week, and, and this was, uh, first revealed by ESPN's Nick Wagner, a one-time guest on this podcast, filling in for you. Um, no team has played three straight games against teams with an 800 winning percentage this late in the season in the Super Bowl era. Uh, so the 49ers are embarking playing the eight and two Packers, the currently eight and two Ravens and the eight and two Saints in back-to-back-to-back weeks, um, which is really, really interesting and really it's going to be incredibly telling as to how good the 49ers are. 
And without stepping on some content, I'm going to put together uh, probably tomorrow, Friday, that's going to preview Sunday's game. Um, it's going to be a lot like the playoffs. Like, if you go to the Super Bowl and you have a bye, you play three three teams that are about this good, right? Like, you, you host one, which the 49ers are, are going to do on Sunday against the Packers, and then if, you know, say you're the two seed, You'd have to go on the road to to win the conference title game, which in this example would be at Baltimore, which I think, you know, is is a pretty similar test to going to try try winning a conference title game on the road. And then they're going to practice in Florida uh, between that Ravens and Saints game. And it just so happens that the Super Bowl this year is in Miami. So if you did go to the Super Bowl, you'd be spending the week in Florida practicing. Um, so the Niners will be in Sarasota, not Miami practicing, before going to play the Saints, who are probably a team that is Super Bowl quality, albeit you're not going to play an NFC team in the Super Bowl. The point being <laughs> that strong. Are this is this is like this is like <laughs> playoff practice. You know, like there like very few teams, and because like per Wagner's stat, no team has ever played three straight weeks against teams this good this late in the year. This is basically a, a playoff dress rehearsal. Like if the 49ers, um, and no matter how it turns out too, is like they don't necessarily have to go 3-0. and Like in the playoffs they would, obviously, to win a championship. But right. to, you know, if they go 1-2, and two, which I think is very realistic, or 2-1, and one, also realistic, um, they're going to have they're going to learn a lot about themselves because it's going to be a playoff like gauntlet which uh which I find fascinating and it's it's going to be really telling too because you're playing three vastly different teams. Um the Saints and Packers are very different and the Ravens are obviously a completely unique animal yeah. with what they offer with uh, Lamar Jackson. So um that's that's going to be something I write over the weekend so check the sack B for that. Hopefully I didn't just step all over it. One when you just kind of look at the assessment of this Niners team through their 9 and 1 start I think if you if you polled a lot of football fans, they would tell you that, hey, yeah, the Niners are nine and one, great, but they're not legit. Like I'm not buying them yet. And I I saw a national TV person who didn't even have the Niners in their top five teams in the NFL at nine and one. That's insane. Anyways, <laughs> like this is this is it now. This is a three game stretch where they get to prove their their chops and whether they do belong in that upper echelon because a lot of people put the Packers ahead of them. A lot of people put the Ravens ahead of them. A lot of people put the Saints ahead of them. And if they, I, I mean, I don't think they have anything left to prove. They're 9-1 through 10 games. It's really hard to do. If they come out of this stretch at 11-2, and two, like, I, I, I think the ceiling for, for a lot of people who don't quite buy the Niners yet suddenly becomes a lot higher. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I think it's fair, right? It like in in sure. certain in certain cases you can look at brand equity or say Aaron Rodgers has won a Super Bowl, Drew Brees has won a Super Bowl. Um, you know, Richard Sherman I think is the only 49er player that's won a Super Bowl. So, you know, that there's there's not a ton of experience which uh, is Jimmy Garoppolo's won two Super Bowls. Well, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo has been on two Super Bowl winning teams. That's <laughs> that's correct. Um, there was another quarterback on those teams, if I if memory serves. Brian Hoyer. Yeah. Uh Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> and so um 
just just the fact too that they're gonna have this sort of playoff dress rehearsal is gonna be really important to the young players on the team who've never been there. Um, you have Nick Bosa who should be hitting the rookie wall, maybe is hitting the rookie wall because he hasn't had a sack in three straight weeks. Uh, we're gonna talk about him in a little bit later, but um, yeah, it's it's just a fascinating stretch, and we're gonna learn a lot about these teams. and And I think brand equity is a part of it. You look at the Ravens; like the Ravens have already beaten the Patriots. They went and won in Seattle. The Saints won in Seattle. Um, the Packers went to Kansas City, although Patrick Mahomes didn't play that game, and 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 won. The Packers did. Uh, Packers won in Dallas. So the 49ers, like their best win right now is probably what at the Rams. Um, and and yeah. that's obviously not looking awesome the, the more we get to watch the Rams play. But they were also a couple plays or two away from from beating, you know, the Seahawks. And right. so I think that would have that you know, if the 49ers were ten and zero at this point, having beaten the Seahawks, I think, you know, everybody would undoubtedly think higher of them. But yeah, to your point. This is going to be an opportunity for them to to change opinions of uh, of those writing narratives in the particularly in, in national circles. It's going to be pretty fascinating, I think, watching just kind of the the flow of the narrative about the 49ers. Or not necessarily not necessarily the narrative, but just the flow of the uh, national opinion of the 49ers. And I know that doesn't count, like wins and losses do, but. I'm I'm just really interested to see kind of what because there were there were takes after the loss of the Seahawks like see this is what happens when they play a real team and it's like well they were extremely close to still winning that game and I I I don't foresee them blowing any of these teams out but if if you came from the future and said hey the Niners go 3 and 0 in this stretch like my jaw's not hitting the floor and I think that's where the Niners are at. Like they're a Super Bowl contender, and now they get a chance to to see. I don't think they need to really prove anything, but I I, I think it's more what you mentioned, getting that experience against against other top flight teams, and just kind of getting a measuring stick. You know where where are they at in terms of um, being Super Bowl contenders, and what are their what are their chances come playoff time when they're going to have to face teams like the Packers and Saints. Absolutely. Uh, so before we dive into this matchup a little bit further and, and talk a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo, because uh, I found some interesting things on this week, uh, let's take a quick break. Hey, Kyle, have you uh, ever seen an untucked button-down shirt? Dude, I wear them. Um, well, you know they don't look great, they right? They look terrible. You know why? You, do you know why? What? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, though, thankfully, I had no idea. Thankfully, there's untuck it. What's the this? original What's button-down that? shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, untuck it shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. Love and that. with the holidays near, Thanksgiving's next week, by the way, the, be- the best holiday of all. But with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy or anybody who wears button-downs uh, needing an upgrade. Um, with more than 50 plus fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. I have one. I've worn it to cover a couple games. It is comfortable. Uh, it is warm because press boxes are cold. They just blast AC it's in press wild boxes. Yeah, and I kind of think it's just because there's so many people in suits with multiple layers. I think yeah. that's got to be it. 
Um, anyway, my Untuck It shirt keeps me warm. I can wash it. I can dry it. I don't need to iron it. It, uh, it always falls the same way. Just uh, really comfortable, just a great shirt. So you can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. 20% off is a lot. That's like a fifth, that's that's one fifth off. That 20%. Is 20% is a st- like, that's better than most employees. Like if you buy a $100 shirt, you could go buy a CD after that. That's what that's what twenty percent is. I'm sorry, a whom's? <laughs> so untuckit.com, U N T U C K I T dot com. Promo code blue for twenty percent off, and then go buy your favorite compact disc afterwards. All right. So we mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I wrote about Jimmy Garoppolo this week, as uh, as most people who cover the team do most weeks, um, and found some interesting things. So. I think the point that a lot of people maybe miss or overlook is the idea that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't all that experienced. And we mentioned the small sample size. He only has 20 starts under his belt. That's fewer than Baker Mayfield, for example. Um, he has been in the year, in the league for six years, but he just hasn't been given all that playing time. And part of that is obviously because he had an ACL tear last year, which you have to factor into. So a few things, a few facts about Jimmy Garoppolo. So he's top 10 in completion percentage. He's sixth at nearly 69%, which is nice. Uh, touchdowns, 18, tied for fourth most in the league. Yards per attempt, 7.8, which is nice. So he's top 10 in all those categories. Uh, meanwhile, the 49ers run the ball at the second highest rate in the league, 51% of their snaps. The issue, obviously, is the 10 interceptions. Um, and that's the fourth most in the league. And you look at just where Garoppolo was at career-wise through 20 starts, right? So Garoppolo, in his 20 starts, uh, sorry, I'm looking up these numbers here. He has 18 interceptions and 20 starts. Uh, found some other numbers from other quarterbacks who started, you know, from their first 20 starts. Peyton Manning, of course, he had a, like, historically terrible rookie season, so he's probably an outlier. He had 34 picks in his first 20 starts. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo at 18, remember. Tom Brady, 21. Drew Brees, 23. Cam Newton, 22. Uh, Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz, a l- fewer than Garoppolo with 16. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he had 25 during his first 20 starts. Cousins is currently uh, second in the NFL in passer rating because largely he only has three interceptions this year. Um, So, you know, people want to say, well, Jimmy Garoppolo's biggest issue is interceptions, and maybe it is. Maybe he never really improves. But I think within the context of the fact that he's only had 20 career starts, I think it's fair to expect it to improve because he does a lot of high-level things, and we've seen him do that. And Josh Dubow of the Associated Press, uh, a former boss of mine, uh, tweeted out over the, I think it was, what, Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, 
Um, so Garoppolo's thrown 10 picks. On the 10 drives following his interceptions, he's completed 32 of 35, which is a cool 91%. For 288 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 120 passer rating. So he bounces back, right? And we mentioned it before, like the the huddle, all of his teammates, Garoppolo himself, they all have a ton of confidence in Garoppolo's ability to bounce back from mistakes. And one thing Kyle Shanahan said was like, yeah, well, we'll take, you know, the, the interceptions are frustrating, particularly like the really egregious ones where he just, throws it right to linebackers who are sitting underneath crossing routes and things like that. But like he does so many high level things that, that I'm cool with it. And I, you know, Shanahan thinks that Garoppolo is going to get better in those areas. And I do too, but just in the context of like him having fewer interceptions over those 20 starts and so many really good quarterbacks who are having and have had really good careers. Um, I think Garoppolo is going to be just fine. And yeah, like there's an opportunity, there's a chance that, Garoppolo throws interceptions in the playoffs that could end up costing the 49ers a chance at a title. I, if that happens, I don't think that's going to be the reason to move on from Garoppolo. Right. I I just want to warn people, like that's going to be the narrative that people have, like, because it's such an instant gratification society we live in. It's going to be, well, Garoppolo didn't do it when it mattered. And so he's trash or whatever, like the Niners need to, uh, everyone wants to be the person to say, you know, I said it first that the Niners need to get a new quarterback. Um, well, part of the reason that Garoppolo's interceptions stand out so much is because of all the good things that typically precede them. Right. That's why the interceptions seem so catastrophic is because in that Arizona game, he had the two interceptions. The the one to Jordan Hicks where he just didn't see the linebackers sitting underneath the the Emmanuel Sanders route, and then one that he threw behind Ross Dwelly that that bounced off Dwelly's hands, and, and into the into the hands of of Jalen Thompson, the free safety. Those are the only two throws anybody wanted to talk about. He was thirty four of forty five. He completed seventy six percent of his passes, and a lot of them were dimes. He made some nice throws. But the reason those two interceptions stand out is because they were such outliers from the rest of the game. And I think that the reason they get harped on is because people want that high-level play all the time. And I get that that's the goal, and I get that if if the Niners are going to be an elite team, they need Jimmy Garoppolo to be playing at that high-level game in and game out. I, I, I fully understand that. But the fact that he gets to that elite level at all, and Shanahan kind of mentioned that, the fact that he gets to that elite level at all is a really good sign. And then what you mentioned, the fact he doesn't compound those mistakes is a really good sign. And he hasn't hit his ceiling yet as a passer, I don't think. And if he's this far along in his development and the the main issue with him as, as a quarterback is... Um, he needs to just see the field a little bit better or he needs to learn to throw it away or take a sack here and there. Like, those are things that I think can improve. And he makes a lot of plays that aren't, that, that aren't taught, that aren't coached. And I feel really good about Garoppolo's ceiling 
And if what we're seeing this season is his floor, the Niners are in a really good spot. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so it is interesting. Like, I, I do wonder. Um, I, I do wonder how we're going to look at Garoppolo after the season's over, because I, I think it's probably going to be too far in one direction, regardless of how it goes. Right. Like if Garoppolo uh, wins the no Super way. Bowl, say, and wins like Super Bowl MVP, then everyone's going to be like, well, he's probably the next Tom Brady and everyone who wanted him to stay in New England. They were right. Or if he doesn't get to this, he, if he doesn't, you know, win the 49ers the Super Bowl, then it's going to be, well, he is a second coming of Tony Romo and Tony Romo never really amounted to anything. And the 49ers should probably start really considering having a, a competition at quarterback with Nick Mullins, you know, in the off season. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just going to be too far in, in one direction, but I do think the context of the fact that his 18 picks are fewer than Brady breeze, Newton, um, and just two more than Watson and Wentz, uh, and significantly fewer than Cousins, who is now playing really well with the Vikings. Um, it's just worth pointing out and that, you know, he's, he's as Kyle Shanahan said, he's closer to a rookie than, than he is a six-year veteran. So um, I'm interested to see what it looks like Sunday against a really good team with a really good secondary uh, with his full complement of weapons. And it looks like we're going to have that opportunity. And it's, I mean, can like aside from like analysis and, and takes like Sunday is really going to be kind of like football porn, isn't it? Yeah. Like two really good teams, two of the top yeah. seeds playing in prime time, uh, really I... good uniform matchup aesthetically, like yeah, two of the really most classic, classic uniforms yeah. and a good rivalry, like a good classic rivalry. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Can I, can I real quick? Yeah. Make a Garoppolo point. Yeah. He's on pace for 28 touchdowns and 16 interceptions this year. Uh huh. Uh, Drew Brees has had a stat line like that five times in his career. Brett Favre's had four. Peyton Manning had two. Dan Marino had five. Um, Steve Young had one. I, I yeah. just, I mean, the and, the whole interception thing, I just think it's blown way out of proportion. And that's, a, I think, due to a bigger conversation that we could have about society and sports fans. But <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. He probably didn't do himself any favors by being a, patently ridiculously good in that 2017 stretch I where agree. he he was red hot for five games and was arguably the top one of the three best quarterbacks over those five weeks um so that's that's probably what's coloring some of this too but yeah Aaron Rodgers I don't have a ton to say about Aaron Rodgers other than that the fact that he's thrown two interceptions this year is just insane because Okay, two interceptions. You know what percentage that is? That's point zero five seven percent of his attempts are uh, have gotten picked. Point zero five seven. He's thrown. I need to go back and look. I've had all these tabs open. Okay, Rogers has thrown three hundred and forty-seven pass attempts, and he's been picked twice. And he's like. He's around the top 10 in terms of like air yards per attempt. Um, I wrote about it today. I would, or that's publishing tomorrow. So Friday it's publishing Friday, but the point being like, he's a very aggressive quarterback in terms of how he pushes the ball down the field, mm -hmm. but he's also throwing interceptions at the lowest rate in the league. It just doesn't make any sense. And he's one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. Um, and that's probably the thing to me that stands out 
most about Aaron Rodgers in terms of just aside from the fact that he's like the most fun quarterback to watch in my opinion. And Patrick Mahomes is certainly way up there too. But like if, if I could watch any quarterback in the league, I think it might be Aaron Rodgers because of all the off schedule stuff he does. And, and I think Mahomes has elements of that game of that in his game too, but Rodgers will like scramble around and and freelance for four seconds and then it looks like he'll get sacked and he's halfway to the ground and then he'll fire a sidearm seed 30 yards to like the corner of the end zone that fits in a window that's like two feet by two feet and it's a touchdown and there's really nothing you can do and it's just like completely insane and uh so Rodgers is incredibly fun to watch and um I don't have much more analysis than that like I can't wait to see Rodgers and the 49ers pass rush uh, go against each other because it's going to be fantastic. I have some analysis. Okay. Jimmy Garoppolo has thrown 10 interceptions this year in 10 games. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers has thrown 10 interceptions in the last three seasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, granted, he only played seven games in, in 2017. Um, but, I mean, the point the point stands. In 33 games, he's thrown 10 interceptions. One thing Garoppolo could probably learn from Aaron Rodgers is how to throw the ball away. Aaron Rodgers is yep. elite at throwing the ball away. Yes. Aaron Rodgers also elite and and this isn't like anything that people haven't heard before but his ability to maximize free plays. Like I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback like whenever there's a there's a guy off sides and there's a flag right at the snap. The play doesn't stop. You, the the play is blown dead when they're when it's an offensive penalty at the snap. Yeah. Um. When it's false start, guys jump off sides. It's a free play. And for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers is the only quarterback in the league. It seems like who gets his receivers just to run nine routes, just run deep. And a lot of the time it works. And there's there's absolutely nothing to lose because it's a free play. Even if it's intercepted, it's a five yard penalty. And and you keep going. So um, he's incredibly good at that. So the 49ers who pride themselves at getting off the ball are going to be, have to be, are going to have to be really cognizant of not jumping off sides um, because any hesitation that that might cause could potentially lead to a game changing play. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the danger of facing Aaron Rodgers and why he's such an incredibly effective quarterback is there are so many ways that that he can beat you pre-snap, post-snap, off play action, off designed rollouts, off I, I I mean he's he's remarkable. And every time you watch him, it feels like he does one or two things, maybe more sometimes, but but definitely one or two things where it's just like he's the only quarterback in the history of the NFL who'd make that play. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I don't want to get into a hole. Who's the best, who's the greatest, all that. Aaron Rodgers is one of the very best players ever at his position in NFL history. Yeah. And I do think, and this is going to sort of bleed into the converse, the matchups to watch conversation we're about to have, but the 49ers defense is set up to I, I don't want to say stop Aaron Rodgers, but they're set up this is like this is the design of the 49ers defense is to slow a quarterback like this, right? So they the Niners don't blitz much. They're they're among the lowest blitzing teams in the league. Uh 
they play a lot of zone. They're one of the higher zone rate coverage teams in the league, however you want to say it. Um, so with being really good in zone coverage, being able to rush just four um, is going to give you the best chance to defend Aaron Rodgers. Because if you blitz, the thing is with blitzes is you become weak somewhere on the field, right? Like the, the Cardinals, the Cardinals ran a zero blitz. They left the middle of the field wide open and Jeff Wilson Jr. Had a free lane to the end zone uh, in the fourth quarter on Sunday to win the 49ers the game. If you don't blitz, you're leaving people in coverage. When you play zone, everybody in zone has their eyes on the quarterback. You know, the, the one of the big differences between man-to-man and zone is that man-to-man, you're watching your man. You don't have your eyes on what the quarterback is doing. So when you're in zone, you probably have a better shot at taking the ball away or being in the right position because you're reading the quarterback. And the best quarterbacks, and obviously Aaron's one of them, um, Aaron, first name basis. Yeah, you and him, um, bud. <laughs> is his ability to manipulate defenders with his eyes who are in zone coverage. That's that's a big part of it, right? Right. Um, man-to-man is, and the Niners do run a lot of man, particularly on third down, but man, man-to-man is more about the receivers just beating the guy across from him. Um, so with what the 49ers do schematically and the fact that they're so talented up front that they can get home just by pass rushing with four guys, that puts them at a big advantage. And if you remember the 49ers matchups with the Packers when, you know, the Jim Harbaugh, during the Jim Harbaugh years, what the 49ers were so good at was bothering Rodgers with a pass rush with just four guys, with Alden Smith, Justin Smith, Ray McDonald, and Ahmad Brooks. Um, that That's why they defended him so successfully, because they could drop seven guys into coverage Um and get a good pass rush with four. And I think this defense, although schematically it looks very different, those same principles still apply. And that's why I think the 49ers are going to have a good shot, not necessarily to stop Rodgers, but to at least maybe limit his effectiveness because you're not going to give up big plays because you're not sending blitzes, leaving vacancies down the field. And good quarterbacks read blitzes and know exactly how to beat them right away. All that stuff sort of built into to each NFL scheme. Right. Um, so I do think what the 49ers do schematically is is probably advantageous in terms of how they match up with him. Yeah, I think so. And if Nick Bosa can can kind of break out, I don't want to call it a slump, but if if he can find a way to to affect this game in a way that he did against, I, I, well, really against any team early in the year. I think that gives the Niners a, a, a really good shot. Or if Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner can, just just for all the reasons you just mentioned, if, if they can get home with four, it gives them a very, very good shot uh, against Aaron Rodgers. Uh, if they if they have to start getting getting creative with their blitzes. My cat is scratching at his chair, and it's really annoying me. Yeah, um, my dog just came up to me. Um, my, so my desk is right next to my bed because... Yeah, my dog just came up to me and pawed me. I think he wants to go outside, but um, he doesn't know it's podcasting time. Yeah, come on. Come on, Ro- Roscoe. Yeah, Roscoe needs to get it together. Anyways, um, uh, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, so let's if talk. They, if they start let, trying to send extra guys, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, let's talk about matchups to watch since since we're talking about Nick Bosa. So the first, the first matchup we have is Bosa against David Bakhtiari. Yep. And uh, you talk to 49ers offensive linemen, particularly Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey. I think David Bakhtiari is like your favorite tackles, favorite tackle. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, he's been really good for a really long time. Uh, Bakhtiari, this is according to Pro Football Focus, has allowed 24 pressures on the year, two sacks, and six hits. So Nick Bosa has 49 pressures on the year. Um, he's 12th in the NFL with total pressures. This, according to PFF, fifth in uh, their pass rush productivity rating, and he's also the high. His his pass rush productivity rating is the best among any player that's played 10 games. Um, so Bosa is already, and this isn't breaking news, but he's already one of the best defensive ends in the league, and he's also really good against the run. Yeah. Um, so you're you're sort of talking about strength on strength here, but I do think. The fact that Bosa hasn't had a sack in three games is interesting because it raises a question about the rookie wall because obviously Bosa didn't play a whole lot last year. I think he appeared in basically two and a half games with Ohio State. So maybe there there's something to that. But more likely, in my opinion, I, I think the fact that the 49ers went against Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray the last three games has more to do with the reason why Bosa went without getting a sack and and still even with Bosa not getting a sack Eric Armstead's had two and a half sacks the last three games DeForest Buckner had two sacks over the last three games um D Ford had two sacks over the last three games so it's not like the pass rush has been ineffective completely I think a lot of it has to do with Bosa getting um chipped by you know receivers running backs we saw that play Larry Fitzgerald just laying Bosa out because Bosa wasn't even looking at him and uh, Bosa actually had a funny story about that today. Apparently, Larry Fitzgerald is a like is a nonstop talker during games, which I did not know. I thought when Bosa said it, he was kidding, but he was like, "No, like Larry talks the entire time, and it's not vicious or anything, but it's just like he's just nonstop." And so when Fitzgerald laid Bosa out with that chip block that Bosa wasn't even expecting, Fitzgerald went up to to him after the play and was like, "Sorry, but we had to slow you down somehow." And uh, Bosa was like, "Yeah, shit, you did." So um, that was that was kind of funny from Nick today. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see if Bosa gets more traditional pass rushing reps where he's not getting chipped, where it's just him one on one versus Bakhtiari against a quarterback who you know Aaron Aaron Rodgers is definitely mobile and definitely elusive. I would say he's definitely a tier below Murray and Wilson in terms of. Uh, how elusive he is. So I think I think there's a chance that Bosa breaks his sackless streak that's that's gone three games. Yeah, even even going against a player like Bakhtiari, who's a, who's a very very good player, Bosa's just I I I'm right there in lockstep with you. I, I think he's just too good to continue getting shut out. Uh, he's an exceptionally smart player, so he's going to start figuring out. Uh, what teams are doing to him and, and kind of how to counter that. So the Niners defense is at its best when Bosa is playing at a high level, and I, I expect him to have a, a big game on Sunday night. All right, next matchup to watch. This is this is a long podcast. It's, it's one of our longer ones. Yeah, super long, and I haven't heard um, anything today. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's kind of zoom through these. All right, Devontae Adams versus the 49ers pass defense. The reason why I think you actually came up with this one. So Devontae Adams, obviously number one receiver. Yeah. The reason why I find this one interesting is because we don't know if Akella Witherspoon's gonna play or or he's gonna play or be active. We don't know if he's gonna start. Um, and that's one of the things that we don't know going into this week because the 49ers said, well, before we insert Akella Witherspoon back into the lineup for Emmanuel Mosley. He needs three full days of practice, which the 49ers haven't gotten 
recently because the schedule's been what it is. A short week last week, coming off the Monday night game, um, he had a quad issue, which sort of derailed things around the Cardinals and Seahawks game. So now Witherspoon's healthy. He's presumably going to get three full practices this week. So we don't know for sure if the 49ers are just going to throw him right into the fire and stick him back in the starting lineup, or if they're just going to roll with Emmanuel Mosley because Mosley's been playing well, or if they're going to start Witherspoon and if the Packers pick on him right away with Devontae Adams or whoever else, um, are the 49ers going to have a short leash And uh, because Mosley has been playing well? So I think that's sort of one of the questions going into this week. Um, but obviously the 49ers still have the – I, th- I think it's still the first uh, the first ranked passing defense in the NFL. So I, I ultimately think they'll be fine regardless, uh, particularly if Witherspoon plays like he did during the first three weeks of the season before he got hurt. Um, but I, I certainly think Devontae Adams is going to be the guy to watch, whether it's Sherman or, or Witherspoon going against him. I have a take. Let's go. Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver the 49ers have played against this year. All right, let's think about this. They played against the sick Mike Evans in week one. Oh, yeah. And Chris Godwin's having a good year, but this is his first, you know, really excellent year. Mm-hmm. A.J. Green didn't play for the Bengals. Right. Juju Smith-Schuster, he's a, he's a good player, not having a great year, but good player. He had a long tutty in that game. He did. Odell Beckham Jr., having, I think, a better career than Devontae Adams, but not having a great year. Uh, Cooper uh... Cup. That's got to be the one I think I would argue with you, but that's that's fine, and and, and I'll wear that. Sure. Uh, Cooper Cup, good player, not I don't think as good as Devontae Adams. Maybe right there, it's close. Uh, Washington has a football team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Carolina, no. Arizona. Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin did not play in that game, if memory serves. He did. I think he only had one catch though. Okay. Well, it was raining. It was. Nobody, nobody passed well. Uh, Carolina doesn't doesn't have any dominant receivers. Uh, Larry Fitz once upon a time, and Christian Kirk's pretty good, but uh, and then Tyler Lockett got hurt uh, in that in that Seattle game. So I'm sticking by my take that Devontae Adams is the best. So do you defense. think like he's having like you wouldn't take Devontae Adams over OBJ? You you just think in terms of the season they're having, I'm a big and the way they're playing room guy. So <laughs> yeah, but no, no the the way they're playing, like Devontae Adams is in the best form of any receiver, and also he's catching passes from Aaron Rodgers, which is important given OBJ's playing with Baker, who wasn't having a uh, particularly stellar start to the season when the 49ers played him. Yeah, I think I think in a okay. fantasy draft of all those players, I think Devontae Adams goes. Maybe second behind Odo Beckham. Okay. Um, I think it's fair. Thanks. That's fair. I haven't done the Devontae Adams deep dive, but uh, you just I respect it, your take. Um, all right, next matchup to watch. George Kittle versus the Packers defense. Packers have allowed five touchdowns to tight ends this year. That might not sound like a lot, but it's the fourth most tied for the fourth most in the league. Um, 50 catches for tight ends on 80 targets, which is absolutely notable. Um, that's pretty efficient. And so, uh, George Kittle's obviously a really important player to the 49ers passing game. We don't need to elaborate on that a whole lot. Packers rushing defense, which I think is interesting because the 49ers have struggled without Kittle in the running game, having their worst two rushing performances 
performances the last two weeks. He had just 34 yards against Arizona and then 87 against Seattle. 49ers are still the second best rushing team in terms of overall yards yards per game. Um, Packers are allowing 4.8 yards per carry, which is 27th. Uh, so maybe the 49ers get back on track on the ground with Kittleback, and the Packers are allowing 127 yards per game, which is 25th. So I wanted to point out that the Packers' run defense might not be great, just given the fact that Kittle is back now, and the 49ers, with maybe the exception of not having Matt Breida, should be at full strength with with at least Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, um, and Jeff Wilson Jr. I think that should be more than enough to run the ball well. And, uh, and if the Niners run well, I think that's going to make it really difficult on the Packers' defense. Yeah, I think so too. And and uh, and Ted Wynn over at the over at the Athletic did a really nice write up of just how the Niners have kind of missed Kittle in the run game. And give me one second. Ted Wynn over at the Athletic did a really nice write up of how the 49ers have really missed Kittle in the run game, and specifically pointed out a few plays where Ross Dwelly was the guy who missed the block that kept a, a big run from, from breaking and, and becoming a two-yard run instead of a 20-plus-yard a run. So I, I think that Kittle being out has been significant, and I think we're really going to see the benefit of him being in the lineup uh, and healthy on Sunday. Or okay, last well. matchup to watch in uh, the longest podcast that I think you and I have ever recorded. Um, Aaron Jones versus the Niners defense. Aaron Jones has 14 total touchdowns which is a lot. Uh, he's averaging 4.4 yards per rushing attempt, 59 rushing yards per game, which isn't a lot, but he's also averaging 35 receiving yards per game. And he has 35 catches for 354 yards on the year. So he's a very important part of their offense, particularly in the red zone. Um, what I do want to mention is the 49ers uh, rush defense has come under fire as of late, which I think is, is warranted the overall, you know, bulk stats from the entire season. Um, don't paint the best picture in terms of, you know, where the 49ers are in the running game defensively right now. Um, the, uh, the 110.5 yards allowed on the ground per game is 20th and the 4.7 yards per carry is 26, but I think some of what's coloring those numbers is the fact that the 49ers the last three weeks allowed 67, 53, and 34 rushing yards to quarterbacks, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray specifically. Um, so the 37 catches the 49ers have allowed to running backs this season, that's the second lowest number in the league. Um, the three rushing touchdowns, also the second fewest allowed in the NFL. Uh, Looking at running back specifically, the, uh, the the Niners have allowed 849 total rushing yards to running backs, which is actually number 13 overall in the league. So some of their bulk rushing statistics against, um, you have to factor in the 49ers playing against mobile quarterbacks. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to run for 50 yards or 60 yards on Sunday. So, Point being, I think the 49ers might be better equipped to handle Aaron Jones than maybe the the statistics would indicate, or at least the bulk statistics from the entire season, and that that and that they might be better against running backs in those numbers than those numbers portray. 
But that being said, it's still a small sample size without Quan Alexander. Um, I think Dre Greenlaw has been just fine so far, like we, like you and I both predicted. But, um, but yeah, Aaron Jones scores a ton of touchdowns for them. He's a really important part of their offense, both through the air and on the ground. And so, um, Niners are going to have to keep their eye on them. To this point, I think they're better against running backs than, than people expect. Yeah, I think so. And and really, his versatility as a pass catcher, uh, to to get loose in the screen game and to stress the Niners horizontally. That's what scares me really more than anything because the 49ers have been susceptible on those plays. That's why uh, Arizona was so successful offensively um, was, was what they were able to do um, with, with stretching the Niners out sideline to sideline. And I think Jones is the kind of player who will really allow them to, to do that and, and be effective in the screen game and on play action and, uh, he's just a really good player. He's having a really nice year, and uh, the Niners' defense, as good as it is, it's it's going to have its hands full for sure. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where with how much zone they play, I think that impacts how much space running backs get. And so, uh, and so yeah, I, I think it, the Niners match up well. Um, it's going to be a fascinating game. I, I do think having George Kittle back is just – really massive for the 49ers because we saw how good the offense was and how he affects the running game, how crucial he is in situations like third down, um, how much of a improvement he is over Ross Dwelly in the running game. Um, I, I think he's probably the team's most important player on offense. Definitely the team's most important non-quarterback. So we'll see how the 49ers, you know, and we didn't talk about Justin School going against the Smith brothers, Mike McGlinchey, um, Zardarius, and Preston, who I think they've combined for like 18 sacks or something this year. Really impressive pass rushing duo. Um, so that's going to be something to watch too. But we uh, we are sort of limited on on how much we uh, how much time we can devote to all these matchups and all these things. And we're are we over an hour? Yeah, I think so. Oh, we're at 59.50 50 right now. Okay. Oh snap. Time for us to go. It's going to be a good um, game. It'll be a great game. I can't wait. Like I said, it's it's NFL porn, um, which is uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch. Aaron Rodgers is much wa- must watch TV. Aaron Rodgers against the 49ers defense is incredible. High stakes. NBC, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, um, Levi Stadium. It's just going to be. We all know Levi's at night is just an epic scene. Yeah, it is. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us for this long. Uh, Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and we will have a recap episode for you uh, Tuesday Tuesday morning. Um, And we'll have to figure out next week's schedule with Thanksgiving and all that. It might be a a recap and a preview or maybe we'll pre-record the preview to get it to your feeds for when you're traveling for for thanksgiving we'll figure that out later though yeah we are we're here for you guys so uh we will talk to you then i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.